What is up, No Nation? It's Jesse from Plant the Spear here with the rest of the crew to talk about some Florida State. Kind of a little bit of all the sports today. We're going to go into some football here. We got a little bit of baseball as well as some softball talk to get to first. Uh, Michael, Jeff, I appreciate you guys being on. Thanks for joining me and I uh, hope everybody is doing well. It's, a, it's NFL draft time coming up. The combine's going on right now and Florida State's got a high number of players in there, 12 guys headed to the combine and you know when you hear about that you think how can we be good man we're losing so much going into next year so we're going to talk about how maybe the maybe the roadmap has been laid in the past when you look back to the good years that florida state had between 2012 and 2014 there's a lot of similarities there so we're going to dissect that so talking about 2023 florida state we know it was a great season look i'm gonna say it 13 and 0 <laughs> we're like we have collectively decided to just skip the orange bowl altogether. That's right. That's we don't right. need to, we don't need to talk about that. Uh, there's enough negativity in your life. We don't need to talk about that too. <laughs> so looking at, at that 2013 team, they did great, man. I, I feel like, you know, when you draw a parallel between these, these teams from now and in the past, you, you originally, you kind of want to go, okay, well like 2023 could have been that 2013 team and they very well could have, they just didn't get their chance to prove it. They didn't get a chance to go into the playoffs and prove that they, they lost their quarterback. Obviously that makes a big difference as well. Something that the 2013 did not have to deal with, but I almost argue that this is a lot kind of like the 2012 going into 2013 and where does Florida state go next? Do they follow that path? Does history repeat itself and they have a 2013 type season or I would even throw this out there, Michael, that it could be a 2014 type of season where maybe you don't get dramatically better. And we'll look at some numbers to show my case here, but you still find a way to get to 14 and 0 and into the playoffs or 13 and 0. Um, you know, when they went to the playoffs, of course, hopefully we have, hopefully we have a better uh, experience in the playoffs this year. But you know, that also I will say, like that 2012 team would have been a playoff team. Yeah, at, at, absolutely. At, um, you know, with their record being an ACC champion, so it's all changed, of course, because yeah. you have the 12 team playoff. But you know, I'm thinking that this team can can go into 2024 despite losing a lot of players and yeah. do it without missing a step. So I'll let you share some overall thoughts, and then we'll, we'll, I'm going to put up some slides for those on YouTube. I'll read them off for those on the podcast that kind of show what I'm talking about here. But I'll let you share some overall thoughts first. Mike, I'll kick it to you. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think, <clears throat> you know, you could look at what 2023 did and, and, and assume because, you know, we have 12 players that are going to the combine. We have some transfer out that, you know, this is going to be kind of our, our setback year, a little bit more of a rebuilding year. I actually don't think so. And I know the names that came in from the transfer portal are, are, are big names with little production. So that, that obviously wants to, that obviously gives you the, 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 the angst of like, do I want to really project, uh, a certain record because right. they haven't really produced and I know what we are losing on defense. And, and, and so it makes you also want to be very m- much more cautious on that. But I actually think when you look at what we are, what the way we've played on defense the last couple of years of how we switch out, we, we rotate so many players. So a lot of the younger players got meaningful snaps, not, not unmeaningful snap, but like critical game on the line snaps plus what they brought in from the portal on the defensive side, plus what we already have returning from the stars that are coming back this year. And even on the offensive side, if you don't replace, like just remove the names and just look at the system that Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins and and all those guys have built that they've been successful no matter where they are, you can postulate that, we could see a similar trajectory as we saw in 2012 when that system, when Jimbo was really getting that system going with the type of stars that, that he was getting in there to what we saw in 2013. Because, I mean, we're going to talk about this, but you remember after 2012, we we're like, man, we're losing a lot of pieces. A and lot. then that pit game, we were like, we're winning a national championship. <laughs> I know. And, and it's true, man. I, I think you're, you're right about how the system can work for the players that are in it, regardless of who they are. Because when you look at Mike Norvell's offense, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I remember doing my homework from back in the day. Outside of those first couple of rough years at Florida State, his offense has produced a 3,000-yard passer pretty much back to the time where he was almost a position coach. Absolutely. So you just, again, it's adapting the system to the the strengths at hand. That's something that their system works very good at. And, and you know, when you go back to 2012 and 2013 – 
you know, you bring you bring up a good point. They also didn't have the portal back then. They That's couldn't right. restock this with a lot of guys. You had to go with some unproven high school talent that you had recruited and developed. Now you're able to just go out and pluck a guy with 40 power five starts. Right. And I know there's some angst about, you know, what DJU is and what he can be for this program. But we got some numbers, too, that are going to show you why I think he's going to be sufficient yeah. for Florida State to get us back where they are, despite losing a whole lot. But, Jeff, I'll let you share some overall thoughts about kind of the topic at hand here. I mean, y'all were talking about, you know, 2012 to 2013. The biggest similarity I see is behind the center, mm. you know. Yeah. EJ left. We didn't know. We knew Coker and who's Jameis Winston. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's all we kept. And we didn't know. And, and Jimbo kept everything, you know, like like a good poker player tied to his vest. Yeah. And we didn't know till like the week of the first game who yeah, the starter was right. going to be. And then you see what Jameis did, you know, and you look at back then, just in the recruiting aspect of what we have to replace. And y'all talked about it, you know, all the people that left for the draft to similarities and what we have to do this year. You look at, all the talent on that team that won the national championship that were freshmen that yeah, produced, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, Darby, uh, or Darby was a saw. So I won't say he was sophomore or sophomore ish, yeah. you know, and you had, uh, you had Jalen Ramsey, Ramsey, you know, you know, you look at that, you, you compare them. Now you got Charles Lester. Yeah. Right. You know, so, I mean, the similarities are there in all aspects. And like y'all said, you know, he didn't have the transfer portal to restock with. Norvell does. So it was that homegrown thing. Yeah. But you look at it, I mean, just the star rating. Yeah, we had, I think, six, five stars in the, that class yeah. back in 2012. You know, the star ratings aren't there, but really in my eyes, the star ratings are overrated. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. You, you look at you look at a player like Sam McCall, who yeah. committed to Florida yeah. State, went to Texas A&M, and now he's back on the uh, – he's at the Greyhound station trying to find another school. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it ain't working out for him. Yeah. But you look at that, I mean, it, it's astronomical. Just this, if you compare them, like Jesse, I know you're about to, you know, it's almost, it's going to make every FSU fan optimistic and a little bit more excited about this coming up season with just how similar these two teams are going to be. Yeah. Right. And I agree, man. When you look at that 2013 team, there was a lot of players on there that were kind of like, you know, who is this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Is this, you know, we're going to show you some names in a minute that, that were pretty scary to lose. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's a great point as well. And then, you know, just looking at that, man, I do remember that pit game too. I remember sitting on my couch, watching that with a couple of my FSU friends. And I was like, we're going to win a national championship this year. I was literally sitting on my couch <laughs> and I was like, you know, I mean, cause think about this, Jesse, think about this. Uh, we, we, all we had was the spring game and the spring game, you know, I mean, it's glorified, you know, but he makes that touchdown pass. I think it was to Kenny Shaw and everybody's like, Oh, okay. What's this, yeah. you know? And, but that was really all we had to go off of. So, and then if you remember correctly, that pit game opened up with Pitt marching right down on what would end up being the best defense in the league that year and the in the college football season that year literally marched right down i think it was like seven plays scored a touchdown and we're like oh gosh what's this and then yeah. james comes out and the rest was history i mean hey maybe over in ireland maybe uh dj you can have that kind of game against georgia tech but i also do think that what jeff brings up is a good point where when you talk about sam mccall you also think about like a demory tate who was a five-star oh, guy yes, literally tate. spent two years in the portal and i think is now at florida a&m so it's like Jeez. the star ratings on that 2013 team and on that 2012 team were let's face it the blue chip ratio was better than what florida yeah. state has now but it's probably not that wide of a margin because Thinking back, if you know what the blue chip standard is, quote unquote, air quotes, is basically it says since its inception in 2013 to 20, I think 14, no team has won a national championship without having a blue chip ratio above 50%. Now it still stands. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm mad Florida State didn't get in the playoffs last year because I thought they could have been the team to bust it. But let's talk about some of the names that this team lost in 2012. So, I mean, you're looking and look at some of the similarities here. So, Eesh. you lost EJ Manuel, first round draft pick, Bjorn Werner, first round draft pick, Xavier Rhodes, first round draft Gosh, pick. I so forgot you, about Tank Cardigan. Gosh. I mean, like, you're losing. You lost three first rounders, two second rounders, and 11 total picks. You lost seven all ACC players in 2012 going into yeah. 2013. So, you look at this slide. And for those listening at home, I mean, just going down this list of names, EJ Manuel, Bjorn Werner, Xavier Rhodes, Tank Carradine, Menelik Watson, Chris Thompson, uh, you know, just the list goes on. 
And you're thinking, well, how in the world are we going to be good <laughs> in 2013? And so then you look at, at Florida State, at their combine invites. Of course, we don't know where they're going to be drafted yet, but you got your quarterback. You, that's a similarity there. You're a yep. high-level defensive lineman. You know, then you lose all these other guys that are kind of along the same lines of what you lost from 2012 to 2013. And and it just makes you think that when you look at how Florida State was able to go into that next year, losing all that talent and then not miss a step. To me, it's just you have a little bit less proven talent coming into next year, but the star ratings have gotten higher throughout the recruiting process, throughout the transfer portal process. So the potential is there. but. Again, right. that was what it was in 2013 with a lot of the guys like Jeff mentioned. When you had Darby, you had Ramsey, you had Jameis, a lot of these guys who had not proven themselves on the field yet. And then you look at some of the numbers between the offenses and defense, and this is where things get a little bit interesting for me as well. So looking at that 2013 scoring offense, or excuse me, 2012, they were 10th in the country averaging 39.3 points per game. The 2023 offense, now I'm, I'm putting a little asterisk out here because we're going to count it. Uh, prior to the Orange Bowl, was 13th, averaging 37 points a game. So you're only about two points off there. Now, with Jordan Travis, had you not lost your starting quarterback at the North Alabama game, you were at 40.1 points per game. So, again, you're within a point of that 2012 offense from what you did in 2023. Even on the defense, the scoring defense in 2012 was at six, averaging, allowing 14.7 points per game. In 2023, it was also ranked six and was allowing 15.9 before the Orange Bowl. So the numbers are eerily similar. Now, I think what stands out is when you look at 2013, man, that team was so unbelievably <laughs> dominant. It's hard for me to imagine Florida State jumping up from 2023 to 2024 to the second-best offense, scoring 51.6 points per game. That's almost an unreal number. There's not many teams in history who do that. And then you, because I want to say Florida State still is the the widest victory margin of all uh, national championship teams or all teams in history. Now, you look at that 2013 scoring defense first in the country, allowing 12.1 points per game. Again, that's a really high bar to set. But yeah. I think if you look almost like if this team were to jump from 2012 to 2014, you look at the scoring offense there, ranked 35th. They obviously took a big step back considering where they were at at 33.7 points per game. The 2014 scoring defense jumped. They fell all the way to 50th, allowing 25.6 points per game. So I feel like if 2013 is a best case scenario and 2014 is kind of what the most likely scenario would be, that they might take a little step back just with a lot of new unproven faces. Well, that 2014 team still went undefeated in the regular season, still won the ACC. That was the most stressful season I've ever been a, a oh my part of gosh. as a Florida State fan. <laughs> I, I think between like all the Tums and the aspirin that uh. I took that year, like goodness gracious, Bayer needs to give us a sponsorship for that one. Seriously. But if you just even look at that 2014 level of season as being the most likely this year, you're still in the playoffs. You're still going to give yourself a chance. And I think what's even more interesting, and then, then I'll kick it to you guys and get your thoughts on these numbers, is looking at the quarterback. Now, this is obviously the biggest question mark for Florida State coming into the season is replacing Jordan Travis with a guy like DJ Use, where some people just aren't super high on. So when you look at 2012 EJ Manuel, and I got their passing and their rushing numbers listed on a slide for those watching on the podcast, but really what it all boils down to is all-purpose yards per game because they, they all play different amounts of games depending on how far their season went. 2012 EJ Manuel was at 264 yards on average, 1.9 touchdowns per game. Now, 2013 Jameis was at 306 yards per game, 3.1 touchdowns. 2014 Jameis, 305, two touchdowns. 2013 Jordan, 267 yards a game, 2.7 touchdowns. And DJU in 2023 at Oregon State at 238 yards, 2.3 touchdowns a game. Now, that those numbers don't sound too different. The yardage isn't as high as everybody else here, but the touchdowns per game is right in line. They're higher than 2014 Jameis. They're, uh, you know, just a less than a half a touchdown away from Jordan Travis. They're more than EJ Manuel had in 2012. So the thing is like people always, people in the national media outside of Tallahassee, like to point to DJ, you can he be that guy to get Florida state? Like everyone 
always assumes he doesn't live up to the hype. And can he be able to lead Florida State to that level of success? But when you look at the numbers that we're, we're, we're talking about right now, his numbers are in line with some of the better quarterbacks that have, that have produced the better seasons at Florida State. And yeah. so to me, when you bring in a guy with that much experience, you, like you mentioned before the show, Michael, you're bringing back your entire offensive line. And yeah. so if they're just as good or maybe a smidge better, if they're average to above average, you're also giving DJU better receivers to work with. You're giving him a better supporting cast than what he had at Oregon State. So, I mean, again, I'll just shoot the numbers off for you guys because I had them down here. At Oregon State, now this is their star rating and the number recruit overall they were nationally in the class that they came out of. So at Oregon State, you had a three-star receiver, 1167th recruit, a three-star receiver, 1474th recruit, and another three-star receiver at 1,395th recruit. So now at Florida State, here's who DJU, and we don't know who the starters are, but here's just about five guys that they're going to have a chance to work with. Portier, three-star, top 500 recruit. Trey, uh, excuse me, Malik Benson, four-star transfer, number one JUCO player in 2022. Hakeem Williams, five-star, 31st rated recruit nationally. Uh, Jalen Brown, four-star, top 100 kid. Destin Hill, 113th nationally, four-star. So you can see... The number, you know, just to level the supporting cast around him is more talented at Florida State. And so that's why I feel like even though they're losing all this, Florida State can go into 2024 with the pieces that they have. And again, there is another portal session out there waiting where they could add some more pieces. I think they got the horses to have a, a at a minimum, like a 2014 type of season, yeah. which puts them in the playoffs, hopefully gets them an ACC championship. And then, you know, at that point, as long as you make it in, you got a shot. At least you yeah. won't have the situation that happened last year. But, yeah, man, I'll let you give some thoughts about that. But, you know, when you just look at the numbers, this is why I like those graphics that you see on TV where, you know, they put up information and then they cover the graphic or yep. the name. They cover the logo because the production doesn't care who produces it. Right. As long as it's there and as long as it produces the results, that's all that matters. All and right, so Jimbo. The, yeah. You know, right. I, I know. I sound like Jimbo talking here, but, you know, the player don't care who makes it. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, I think it's, it does rain true. I mean, I mean it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. Like, the production doesn't care who produces it. It just wants to be produced. And so, you know, I think, too, I mean, you go back to that 2014 team. I think that's a good comparison. The only where the only place that it breaks down is that 2014 team had just won a national title. They weren't. I mean, you know, like uh, if you go back and read all the articles, all the people who were, you know, close to the team and reporting, you know, all the time they would talk about how this team just they just took winning for granted. You know, right. they just took winning for granted. They didn't take the game seriously until they had to take the game. I mean, I was at that Louisville game. If you remember that Louisville game in 2014, yeah. Florida State was down like 28 to like seven or something like that. It was crazy. And Louisville was going nuts. I was up in the stands. They were drunk. They were partying. They were yelling and screaming in my face like they're about to dethrone us and all like that stuff. And then when we got into like the second half, it was like they just flipped the switch. I mean, it yeah. started in the Oklahoma State game this in Dallas. You know, the whole moniker that year was Dallas to Dallas, if you remember. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so they didn't really care necessarily about winning until it mattered till they were going to lose uh, because they'd already won something. I mean, you go to the Oregon game in the playoff, right? They got down real quick. And honestly, I fully believe, I still believe it to this day, that if we don't have those fumbles, Obviously, yeah. Florida State's going to win that game. They're probably winning the national title again that year uh, because yeah. Ohio State wasn't that great either. So what's different about this 2024 team is while, yes, they lost a significant uh, level of players, they're replacing them with what we believe to be and expect to be, especially in the systems that develop for defense and offense, players who are either going to, to bring comparable uh, production or might even been better. We believe the offensive line is going to be better. We know that DJU, while Jordan Travis is a special and different type of quarterback and a quarterback we'll probably, you know, never see again at Florida State, DJU brings uh, arguably a better arm, a better deep ball, a tougher build who's going to run and, 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 and take on those hits for you. The offensive line is going to be better. I said that already. And so you would imagine that also what's on top of this is the fact that they are coming off a historic snub of the right. playoff. Yeah. And a lot of those players are returning. And so they're going to be even more motivated 
to want to win. And then on top of that, and maybe this is not a good thing, but we have to acknowledge it, is that Florida State is going to be uh, facing the pressure of having to win. We are suing the ACC to get out of here. We are the poster child of what is wrong with college, and I'm air quoting, what is wrong with college football right, right. now. So the media and everybody is going to be watching us. So I feel like if they are to have a similar season to 2014, what's going to perpetuate it and help it is the fact that they are extra motivated to win because they didn't get the chance to try to win it. Uh, this past season. Right. And I think the interesting thing to that you bring up is like, yeah, I think DJU really is kind of like a, he's very similar to EJ Manuel in, in yes. build and in, in yes. play style. And, you know, obviously EJ Manuel was a good quarterback, you know, won an ACC championship at Florida state would have put them in the playoffs if the playoffs existed back then. And then I think you also, of course, they lost Jeremy Pruitt. And I've yep. heard some people say, like I've heard some players before after, you know, 10 years down the, the road have said they feel like had had Pruitt still have been there, they'd have won a national championship in 2014. Yep. They felt yep. like Charles Kelly was just kind of in over his head, that they were waiting on calls, you know, especially in that Oregon game. Kelly. Oh, right. And, and, you know, that Oregon game, the score was ugly, but it was pretty close. It was pretty you close. Know, late in the game. So, yeah, I definitely feel that way, too. And I think you bring up a good point about they had just won some. It felt like they they thought they could roll the helmet out there yep. and, and just win. And, you know, sometimes that success is hard to maintain. That's where promise notes come from and things like that. And, <laughs> and hopefully we're a long way from that. Promise but notes. at oh, the same God. time, I think it's almost kind of like if you could – it's almost like you have a 2014-esque team yeah. with with the hunger of the 2013 13, team. yes. You know, yes. someone who was who was kind of had their heart ripped out when they lost to NC State that, yep. that season where they shouldn't have lost. That probably could have got them into a national championship bid. They were number two at the time. That's right. And so, again, like I think you just get that hunger, and that's something that Mike Norvell even touched on in some of the, the recruiting trips that he's been doing, to, uh, talking to the boosters about – you know, he says these guys don't need any extra motivation in the preseason. They they are ready to work. This is one of the best preseasons that he's ever had as a coach, period. And so, yeah, man, I, I just think that when you look at the talent level that they replaced and the pieces that they have, and again, if you talk about going into 2014, all those draft picks that we talked about they lost in 2012, well, you also lost Kelvin Benjamin, LaMarcus Joyner, Timmy Jernigan, Terrence Brooks, Oof. Devontae Freeman, Brian Stork, and Telvin Smith. Gosh. So you, you could look at that as like, you know, uh, Kalen Deloach, uh, Demetri Emanuel, Trey Benson, uh, you know, just Deon look at Coleman. The, I mean, right. Brady Fisk. Like you can look at, you can sit there and kind of draw those lines. You know, yeah. I love the little always sunny in Philadelphia, uh, gift where he's like, you know, yeah. <laughs> trying to make everything add up and looking like a mad scientist, but that's really the way it works, man. When you look at the pieces that they lost, you would have thought, how do we recover from this in 2013? Yeah. You would have thought the same thing in 2014. You know, I remember when in 2014, it was like, well, at least Jameis is coming back, but we're probably That's not right. going to repeat that. And then they just went on and didn't lose any games to the playoffs. So I think they can definitely repeat it. And, and Jeff, I'll let you share some thoughts on that. We all remember 13 national championship hopefuls. Then the dreaded NC State game happened. Mm. Yeah. Then I'll never get the image know, of that fat dude swinging his shirt around out of my brain. <laughs> I, was at, I was at a family function that night watching uh. – watching it on my phone the, the updates and I threw my phone like I was yeah. like I was mad but at the end of that season you know they were still had a shot you know then they lost to Florida yeah. at home this team's coming up is more like 13 because you look at them you know they were so close in, in 12 they fell short yep granted they wasn't snubbed they fell short they fell short then you look at then you look at what they done they come out in four in 13 that season with Jameis they were hungry Oof. you know and you had mentioned it earlier you know, in 14, I was at the Boston College game in the mm. rain, drizzling oh, rain. Man. And that's the one where that Aguayo had to keep the field goal to win it. Yep. When it should have been a blowout. This team is ultra motivated, the best, you know, preseason and spring they've had so far, whatever. Yep. And another thing, you know, Jesse, you mentioned DJ. If you go back and look at Norvell when his time at, at other places, I'm just going to bring up 2019 Memphis. Hmm. When he had a quarterback, wasn't scared to pull the ball. Yeah. Was that Brady, Brady White? White? Yeah. Brady White, Brady White passed for 4,014 yards. Woo. And that's the thing is his offenses, I mean, they produce. And, they and that's when you look at the production that he's gotten from quarterbacks who aren't five stars, who aren't household names, who are, you know, maybe three or four star guys. And he's been able to get the most out of them when you talk about a Brady White. And so I think. 
the point that I, I bring up with that is a lot of people look at DJU and, and they put him in a box. This is what yep. he is. This is the best that he's t- that he can be. And I think you look back to the days at Clemson and he gets judged heavily off of there. And we see that Clemson has had some offensive struggles that yep. did not get fixed when DJU no. left. So he wasn't necessarily the issue there. But then he went to Oregon State and had a his completion percentage has to get a little bit better. Let's be yes. honest. That, that has to get a little bit better. But when you look at what he did at Oregon State, that was with a, a less talented roster. And yeah. so now you put him in an offense, a better offense with more talented pieces. Why can't he get better? Why right. can't he have that right. 33, 3,500 yard season through the air and then add it on the ground? Because he ran the ball over 100 times at Clemson, didn't run it as much at Oregon State. But, you know, I just think, I, I definitely think this is. It's not out of you know the realm of possibility that he can get better, that he can have a season like Jordan Travis had, you know, like like I don't know that he's going to throw for four thousand, but I think you know Jeff brings up a good point when even you look at a guy like Brady White did it. I yeah. mean, there's no yeah. reason that he can't. And you look at all the speed they brought into this receiver room. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I know it's it's scary to lose a guy like Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, but it, it was also a little scary to lose Kelvin Benjamin. And, exactly. And, you know, and, and you Kenny were Shaw and, right. and Rashad Green. I mean, like you, we keep going. We could we can keep naming the players that we've lost over the years that we're like, well, how are we going to replace that? And now, uh, granted, 2017 to, you know, 2020-ish, you know, uh, wasn't all that great. But over yeah. and over again, you know, when they are able to recruit both, and you got to give credit to Jimbo. I mean, it was a machine. When he was fo- fully focused in the program, he was replacing player after player after player. Mike Norvell yep. has proven to do the same thing. And so going, and, and then just one thing, going to your point about DJU, th- it, I think it's ridiculous when we say, and and I'm guilty of it too, you know, like when we look at Jordan Travis, when Jordan Travis first came in, you know, Willie Taggart b- brought him in as an experiment and then gave up on it pretty quickly. It wasn't until Willie Taggart got fired and then Odell put him in and we actually started to see a little bit of what Jordan could be. And then we all said, well, that's it. He's really just a scrambler and he can kind of throw the ball, but not really good. Yeah. Right. So then Mike Norrell bought, brought in, um, uh, Milton uh, from UCF. And what, what we end up realizing is that had Jordan started the season, there's a chance we might end up winning that Notre Dame game. I know he struggled and then they brought in Milton and Wilton got him back. But I'm just saying, if we had, if we had just, if Mike had stuck with Jordan and made the investment and said, you're going to be my quarterback, we're going to put everything into you. I, I think some of that 21 season might look a little bit different. But when he did, when he finally did, when Mike Norvell and 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 at the time Kenny Dillingham and then you know Tony Tucker as later on, when they finally invested into Jordan, you saw at the end of the 21 season, they went five and three, right? Then of course they went 10 and three and 22. Then they went 13 and 0 and 20, 23, all because they made the 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 decision that Jordan Travis is going to be our quarterback. I say all that to say. DJU can still grow. Yes, he is a fifth-year senior. Yes, he's all these things. And so he is kind of what he is in that sense. But I believe that Mike Norvell can pull something out of him. When you look at DJU, the issue that he has right now is his deep his deep ball accuracy is one of the highest in the country. His intermediate, so that five to ten yard range, you know, he's throwing it. He's he's not leading the receiver. He's throwing it behind them, so he's not putting it where they can actually make extra yards. So a a a, a catch that could end up being twenty five yards sometimes only ends up being five yards because his media accuracy is the problem. You don't think Mike Norvell and Tony Tokaraz can get that out, can work that out? Are you kidding me? Have you not seen what he did with Jordan Travis? So again, let's not limit what DJU can be and let's project based on what we've seen the trajectory of previous quarterbacks. Even, I mean, let me let me throw you a name out there, Jeff and Jesse. Let me, let me give you a name. You remember what James Blackman was like his first year under Jimbo Fisher? I mean, they yeah. called him the, the what was he called like the the stick, the black stick or something like that cuz I mean the dude was just getting nailed, right? And even in even in Mike Norvell's first year, we talk about how, you know, 2020 and part of 20 wasn't very great, but even then that offense was putting up yards against people. And James yeah. Blackman became we didn't have an offensive line, so we couldn't protect him. But when he got protection, he was not too bad, especially when he wasn't in his head and throwing interceptions. So you could see the progress in that. Again, I think we should not 
uh, limit DJU by what we've already seen. We should project of what we know of Mike Norvell and that staff. Right. No, I agree. And and I remember Blackman as Slim Reaper. Uh, I don't Slim know Reaper. That. That's right. I was like um, thinking Black Stick. It was something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think ours is a little more appropriate. But, you know, at the same time, <laughs> that might have been his nickname off the field. But um, I think, too, that when you look at what Tony – when you look at what Tokars did with Jordan Travis, I think you bring up a good point. Yes. That it's kind of like – People had given up on Jordan Travis. Yes, that's right. You know, but they were able to salvage his career, and he didn't really have a great year until his fifth year, senior year, and then he that's backed right. it up with a great year in year six because he had the COVID year. That's well, right. I, again, I know people. You know, like you said, people will say it was the fifth year senior. He is what he is, but that's not necessarily the case. I mean, people people can learn and grow and develop late in their career. That's, right. that's why the NFL took Anthony Richardson as the number one overall pick, not because of what he was in college, not because of what Florida developed him to be because yeah. of what an NFL staff feels like they can do that's with right. him at that level. That's and right. so, yeah, I don't think you should, I don't think they should put him in a box because I think that he can be developed by a staff that has shown the ability to develop quarterbacks. And that's so that's right. why I'm excited about what DJU can do. And I, I think he can be enough. I, I The thing is when you look at what, DJU is even if he just marginally improves. Yep. I don't think he needs to be like a, a 2013 Heisman winning Jameis Winston. I don't think nope. he needs to be that. I think if he could be that EJ Manuel type of quarterback, if he could be that 2014 Jameis averaging, you know, 280 to 300 yards. I mean, even look at the numbers that we talked about with, with Jordan Travis here, 267 yards per game, all purpose, 2.7 touchdowns a game. So in 2023, uh, with a less talented supporting cast, DJU put up 238 yards and 2.3 touchdowns per game. The numbers are in line, and we feel like Jordan Travis's numbers would have won us a national championship. Yep. So I don't get why the angst to think that DJU can't do it. I just, to me, the numbers are there. It shows why they can do it, and I'm on the, you know, I'm of the belief that he can be what Florida State needs. He doesn't have yes. to go out and win them every game, but I think he's going to be a guy who is experienced, stabilizes the boat with with some you know youth around him at the receiver position. Yep. But I think he's he is what Florida State needs right now at the quarterback position, and he can produce enough to have that type of season like 2012 or 2014, both of which gets you into the ACC championship and into the playoffs. Heck, if he even if he if he even reproduces what he did at Clemson in 2021, they went 10 and three. I mean, he was he was thinking they were going into 22 like he was the one of the top front runners for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. So if he could give us that level of play, you know, where and then Mike Norvell and Tony Tokras works kind of with the refinement of of some of those areas they do, dude. The sky's the limit for this dude. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that, you know, even when you look at 2022 Clemson, he still led them to an ACC championship. Now, he didn't yep. play in the ACC championship. He started and Klubnik played, but I mean, he got him there. So you, you also there. have a guy who knows how to win. He's shown the ability yeah. to win. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to him getting an opportunity to prove everybody wrong. And yeah. so, um, with that, Jeff, I'll let you share any final thoughts you have on this kind of conversation and we'll transition into some baseball and softball talk. Well, you I mean we talk about similarities, but there's also a difference between the, the two coaching staffs. We'll just say that. Sure. Mike Norvell inherited what? A dumpster a fire. dumpster fire. Jimbo Fisher was able to recruit his system for how many years? Five years. Yeah, five. Yep. Before, before that is, we started seeing a difference. You look at all the players that came through under Jimbo, you know, just the strength of – just the offensive linemen. You know, yeah. you referenced Brian Stork and – uh then compared him to Demetri Emanuel or one we lost this year. The only difference is, I mean, I don't know many college football players that won a national championship one year and then was a starting center for the Patriots and won a Super Bowl. I know, that's, I right. Know. that's right. <laughs> I mean, oh, but gosh. you look at it, I mean, had Norvell and, and Jimbo didn't, it wasn't like he was having to come in and redo everything. Right. He took over from the GOAT, the legend, Bobby Bowden, who had set that foundation where Mike Norvell come in and I mean, the cupboard was bare. The little gnat flew out when he opened it up. I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. But when you talk about DJ, DJ's a bigger frame than what we had with Jordan. Yeah. And granted, we all love Jordan Travis, but the last two years, he wasn't, he was more pass heavy. He wasn't as free to pull it. And like me and Jesse, we, me and you mentioned it before, you know, when he pulled the ball in the early years, 
Ooh. that forced that offense to respect both aspects. So they yeah, had to right. play as true. Yep. To where last year, I mean, I mentioned it, and the last time I was on the show was, it's like he was forcing the deep pass. Yeah. And Jordan wasn't Jordan wasn't very accurate in the deep ball. Where you bring in DJU now, accurate in the deep ball, and you just, I mean, you've got fast and furious. Line them up however you want to, and receiver, and they're going to yeah. they're, they're going to go out and get it. Yeah. I think that you know, you look at the similarities. This year should be, especially with the twelve team playoff. Um, yeah. We'll be in the playoff. I don't see, you know, anything stubbing us in our regular season. Maybe the Notre Dame game, but it, that one don't hurt us with the conference. Right. But even this coming up year, losing as much as we did, I mean, there's still unproven talent, just like in 13, that's going to step in. Yep. You look at, at Warner, you got to compare him to a Jared Verse, you know, because he was dominant on that yes, outside. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. You know, and then, then you look at that 12 team, yeah, we had Kelvin Benjamin, but Kelvin Benjamin was not Kelvin Benjamin of 13. That's right. He was different. Yeah. You're he was, right. You yeah. know, he was he was actually, I hate to say it like this, he was getting in trouble from people I, I know from that team because he was overweight. Like, he yeah. didn't care. He didn't take yeah. it serious until that year, that national championship year. Yeah. And then he was what? the best, I mean, the most dangerous receiver on the field. Compare him to a Hakeem Williams. Didn't see much play in time. You know, it wasn't bad, but – now he's got another year of development, mm -hmm. you know. Yep. So, I mean, it's there. Or or a, a Kyle Morlock. We'll just say that. If, if you want to throw in some height there because of yeah. Kelvin. Yeah. Who proved – and Kyle Morlock proved that, you know, this year he got a, he got a lot of significant playing time. And he proved that, you know, once he once he gets those hands – because, that man, there were so many balls he dropped that I wanted to choke him on. But uh, once he gets those hands corrected, dude, he could be a legit – um yeah. legit tight end prospect for us and of course we got landon thomas coming in number one tight end right. in the country and recruiting so for sure jeff like absolutely like that those comparisons we and the thing is this is a team that my that mike norvell already has the culture set he already has the the strength and conditioning with coach storm set i mean they know what to expect and so really what you've seen over the last couple of years why florida state has been the number one portal destination for a lot of these high talented already producing or somewhat producing kids is because it's, 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 it's almost to a plug and play where they are picking and choosing the type of player they need based on the talent, based on the production that they, they think they can get and they're plugging them right in. And then the best part about this, what I think is, is Mike Norvell is not one of these rigid coaches that are just plugging and playing people into a system and the system doesn't change. He plugs and plays them into the system. And then if the system needs to change, he adapts the offense around them. I mean, yep. one of the reasons why Jordan Travis wasn't running a lot this year and towards the end of last year is because we realized, or not we, the coach that realized that this dude is injury prone. And so they slowed yeah. down the running, started throwing the ball more. And look what happened. Look what happened when we run him against Northern freaking Alabama. I know. So, yeah. so those no. are some of the good things that could happen for sure. Yeah. And I definitely, I, I like the point that you bring up there just when you talk about that, because looking at the running ability that you're going to get from DJU, I, I know there is that risk there as well. It does open things up and you look at Norvell over the years. I mean, he, he is produced with mobile quarterbacks. He yes. is produced with guys that stand still in the pocket, pocket passers. Yeah. You've also had where I think it was 2021 where we ran for, it was like 200 yards a game because he knew he had Jordan Travis who that's could right. run the ball and you just unleashed the strength that you had. So that's, what's so exciting is him being able to tailor the offense to the talent that he has. I also think a couple of interesting points when you talk about the differences between the two staffs is, you know, now Mike Norvell has had a chance to bring in guys that early on, he just brought in guys like, give me some give me, bodies, give yeah. me someone with a, a pulse. <laughs> now, you know, now you're bringing in guys that are tailored more for your system because you can also pick and choose. Mm -hmm. I'm sure if he wanted to go find a six foot four receiver, he'd go find a six foot four receiver. If he That's wants right. a guy who's fast, he's going to go find it because you're a portal destination now. And I think what's impressed me the most about this coaching staff is the fact that they have been able to win at the level that they have, especially in 2023, not with the talent level that they had in 2012 and 2014. Right. I mean, he still has not had a top, 15 talented team in the 247 talent composite rating. So 
for me, what that says is you have a coaching staff that is produced at a high level. And, and that doesn't mean the guys that we have aren't talented. Like Jeff said earlier, I don't really care about the star ratings, but they are what they are. The blue chip standard is what it is until it's not. It hasn't been right. broken yet. But if they can go out and win with that less talented roster, then to me, that's more encouraging than, you know, giving a bad driver a Ferrari and he, and he turns out a good lap or giving, right. you know, like, uh, God rest his old Dale Earnhardt, you know, like yeah. a, a Honda Civic and he goes out and he runs with the guy. You know what I mean? Like, that's right. You, you have a staff who can who can do more with less. Imagine what that staff can do with more. That's right. And I think that's something that you're going to see coming up, not only in 2024, but going forward as the recruiting rankings bump up, too. So that's why. Yeah, man, I, I just think it was a fun conversation. Again, guys, keep in mind, it's the dead period. We're just kind of digging through things uh, to find something football to talk about. And so I thought that'd be a fun little comparison there about why Florida State, you know, with the combine on the top of our mind right now and having a lot of guys departing this program, why Florida State can go into 2024 and follow a blueprint. I know it's a different staff, but maybe that's been laid in the past. Can history repeat itself? And I think it can. Now, I will say one thing that you can always rely on being good from year to year, Let's and you go. don't ever have to worry about it. Let's and go. that's a, that's Alumni Hall FSU, the sponsor for today's episode. So we appreciate those guys supporting us. Go check them out at their new location, 1415 Timberlane Road, and load up on all the new FSU gear you want. Spring game's coming up. You're going to want to look fresh for that. Go check them out. Use code SPEAR to get 10% off online or in store and again we appreciate you for supporting those that support us that's alumni hall fsu so now there's a little bit more to talk about there's some stuff going on it's springtime we got some other sports going on and you know we want to round out our coverage here i know football is the meat and potatoes of the conversation that's what everybody comes for but i want to touch on this baseball team and this softball team a little bit because you know they get us by until the season is back basketball just kind of wanders off into the darkness you know and and <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens with that but so far, this baseball team is off to a hot start. 7-0, and looking at a couple of winnable games that might be a little different this weekend. Me and Jeff were talking last night. I, You know, you look at Illinois, not very good. You look at Michigan State, their record's not very good. And then they run-ruled Georgia last night, who was 8-0. So that might Oof. be a challenge this weekend. I think the story, when you talk about this baseball team, is first off, it looks good. I mean, it look, they're, they're starting out good. They're off to a 7-0 start. But this is a crucial point in the season because last year we know they started six and one in their first seven games. They won a series against TCU, who was yeah. a top 10 team at the time. They won a series against James Madison, who was a, a pretty decent team from the G5 level. This year, it's just kind of been they've been beating up on some bad competition. Probably the best team they, they beat is USF or Western Carolina. Three of the four teams that they played had a losing record, and none of them made the postseason last year. So we got to find out whether they can win against the better competition. This is kind of something that softball is going through right now as well. But, yeah, you know, Jeff, I'll kick it to you on this. I think what you see from this team is, and I wrote an article on this the other day, if you guys want to check it on the website. If you look at just the way this team plays, keeping in mind the level of competition, you can see the little areas of improvement. And, and we can start with offense. It's just the plate discipline, I think, and the power in the lineup. And just the the production from the top to the bottom of the order. You don't really have any dead outs in this lineup. A lot of the transfers you brought in are, are making a big impact. Again, keeping in mind the level of competition, Florida State has 13 more hits, 19 more walks, and 21 fewer strikeouts through this game, uh, through this point last year, through the first seven games. So you can see them start to tick up. They're 11.6 runs per game on average. They are top 10 in runs per game, hits per game, and win margin. So They've dominated these teams early on, but once the competition ramps up and it's coming, they got Florida Gulf Coast coming up. They got Florida, who's top five coming up uh, twice in the month of March. We're going to find out how good this team really is. But the signs look better than I think they did last year. But they're going to have to stay healthy and they're going to have to prove it against a better competition. And you're right. I mean, you look at last year, we didn't have as many arms on the mound. Yeah. You know, you had Wyatt Crowell, who played in the Cape Cod League that summer, had scouts coming out every night, every time the uh, Dick Hauser was opened up because of him. He went out early. I want to say it was right after the Florida Gulf Coast um, got a series, which is what really led to our. That's when we've seen, you know, we opened up, what were we, six and one, I think. We yeah. beat TCU. Everybody was, oh my God, Link Jarrett's turned it around in a yeah. few months. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're all excited. I mean, we, I mean, I, I was going out to buy a baseball jersey. They just didn't make one that big. Um, <laughs> 
I mean, you can't buy a Florida State tent. But um, <laughs> whenever it comes to that, you know, but then when we lost that series, you've seen it. And you seen where the issues were, the same issues that came up when Coach Martin was the coach, yeah. when Meat took over. And that's not what Link Jarrett had. And Link's finally fixing it. And Mike Posey is the pitching coach coming in this year has been night and day different. Because you look at this year, I mean, and you brought up some stats, but what stands out to me is you look at, I mean, you got Cam Lighter. It's his money year, really, because he can go into the draft uh, this season. Dominant. There's your Friday starter. I would compare him, if you want to look at anybody to compare him to in the past, that's a Parker Messick oh, on yeah, the mound. Yeah. Mm, I yep. mean, eight to 15 strikeouts a game. And since that season, since Meats last season, you know, we never had that solid number two like we got now when you look at, you know, it was always, okay, we're going to win Friday, but what about Saturday? Yeah. You know, Saturday we're going to be, oh, my God. Then you got you got Jamie Arnold on Saturday. Yeah. Who has a better ERA than Cam Leiter. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, only one less strikeout. I mean, and one less strikeout. I mean, and that's – I mean, when you have Jamie Arnold at a 0. 0.00 – ERA yeah. in two games that yeah. says something, and he's your Saturday starter. Yeah, and I and you know? I, I I I'll get your opinion on this, but I think there will eventually move Connor Whitaker probably to the Sunday starter role. That's probably your third starter there. I know right now he's been hitting the midweeks, but I think that's your number three guy. I think you obviously want Cam Leiter as your Friday starter, and like you said, he's he's a chip off of Parker Messick with just the attitude. I mean, he yells at the other dugout. He's a fiery type of guy. And then obviously Jamie Arnold has really come on this year and is just slinging heat. But then I, I think you're going to move Connor Whitaker to that third Sunday role. Uh, you know, that way you have three really good starters for your weekend series. Yeah, I mean, which he was penciled in for the starter. He he's our a normal Sunday starter was supposed to be at the beginning of the season, but then the that Saturday game happened against uh, Butler, where it got canceled. They moved uh, Jamie to the Sunday for that weekend, yeah, and moved him to midweek, which has kind of been his rotation. But once you find another starter, another quality starter, which I mean, if you look at, you've got Carson Dorsey. Yeah, he's got a 1.59 yeah. ERA, and he comes in in relief, and he's dominant. I think we should we could see him come to that midweek starter, you know, that midweek, and put Connor or who knows, you know, Dorsey or Dorsey may show up one time and they move him to Sunday. You never know that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the thing, and that's where we've struggled so much here lately in the baseball is we can't hit the strike zone, you know, mm. in years past, to where now it's. I mean, we got what 109 strikeouts? Yeah. Unreal, in, unreal. In seven games. Yeah. I mean, and and I mean, you look at 109 strikeouts to 40 walks. Yeah, that's insane. That is just that's insane. And if they are getting a bat on the ball, they're hitting it strong to to somebody. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, it, yeah. and and the fielding has improved drastically this yeah. year. Yeah. 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 So I mean, it's it's looking up. I'm happy to watch Florida State baseball again. Okay. Yeah. It, it's fun to watch and, and I'll kick it to you, uh, to Michael after this. But the thing I, I want to follow up on that was, is I think you're right. I mean, the defense has certainly improved when you just talk about the, the depth and variety that they have coming out of the bullpen, you know, uh, for that pitching staff. You got four guys that are already in double digit strikeouts. Cam Leiter's got 21. Jamie Arnold has 20. This staff has 109 strikeouts this season, like you mentioned. Right now, as of yesterday, when I was writing, doing the research for that article I wrote, they're at 15.6 strikeouts per nine innings. That is number one in all of college baseball right now. Wow. The only team that had more strikeouts than them as of uh, December, or excuse me, February 28th was Arkansas. And they had played an extra game and they only had four more strikeouts. So, I mean, again, you have to remember the level of competition, but this pitching staff has been lights out. And then the guys behind them, they've literally cut their airs in half this season. Through seven games last year, they had 13 airs. This year, it's down to six. They've had four out of their seven games where they have not given up an air at all. And last year, it took them 14 games to get there. So the fielding has definitely got a lot better. Now, I also want to talk about the offense, which – Jumping back to what I mentioned earlier, where you look at the higher on-base percentage because the plate discipline has gotten better. They're, they've cut down on their strikeouts a lot. They also kill it when they get on the bases with their base running. They are currently 
they lead the ACC in stolen bases with 18. Through seven games wow. last year, they only had four. So, I mean, and, and the, the thing I find interesting, too, is they've got some speed on the, on the baseline because they are 18 of 18 on stolen bases. They have not been picked off not a single time this year. So you see it. I mean, you see, you see the Link Jarrett-esque traits from like me and Jeff talked about on the baseball preview episode where his team is not a team that commits a lot of errors. They're a very plate discipline, heavy team. They play smart baseball and you're starting to see that come through now. It's just, can they do it against the better competition? Because going back to what Jeff had mentioned, where early in the season, everybody's eyes were open. Is this thing back already when you beat TCU? I mean, let's be honest. That's like Florida state coming out and beating LSU. You know, you were like, Whoa, Hey, yeah. this is, you know, we're off to a great start. Then it went sideways. You know, like Jeff mentioned, they lost that series to Florida Gulf Coast. They went five and five in their next 10 games, and then they went two and 19. And, and yeah. that was hard. They found some late season, late season momentum. They won 10 of their last 16, including a win over number one ranked Wake Forest. And so coming up, I mean, you got nine games left until you hit ACC play. You start with Notre Dame. And it, just in the, month of, in the month of March, you have Notre Dame. You have a top 10 Clemson team. You have a top five Florida team twice. You have Florida Gulf Coast. They're going to get a lot of chances to prove whether they're for real or not. Now they still got some winnable series against new Orleans. And then, like I said, I, I think they're going to get past Illinois and they should beat Michigan state unless they just play above their head again, that Western Michigan game might be a little bit tough, but they have, I think that the best part of having this early season kind of weaker competition is the ability for them to test some guys out, see what they got, make adjustments, give guys opportunities. They've already got 16 guys, a chance to, to throw off the mound. They've got 17 guys, multiple at bat. So they're, they're able to really feel out the depth, and find the pieces that they got. I just think they're going to have to stay healthy, and and you know it's going to be a little bit of a of a test period coming up against some of these tougher programs that they got. But Michael, I'll get some of your thoughts on the baseball program so far this year. Yeah, I mean, I've been excited. I, I was really excited for when they got Link to come back and you know watch that whole press conference and was was geared up to to become more of a uh, more into you know Florida State baseball. I kind of uh, but previously during the meat era, just, you know, kind of my, my fandom kind of fell off when 11 was there. I was watching every game I could watch that was on TV. Cause you know, you always, you always had this understanding that, you know, you were always on the cusp of a college world series. Well, when me, you know, took over, just that all fell off. And, you know, I, there, I know there are multiple reasons for, for why that happened, but you know, with Link coming in, we're really excited. They started off the year hot. And then it was, like you said, it was a complete, just, train wreck and i think that had a lot to do with culture had a lot to do with talent the lack of talent and just kind of had to take their lumps and so now here we are again starting off uh kind of hot you know uh they've been they've been really good so far but i'm waiting for the test i want to see them against actual quality good college baseball teams to see where the progress is happening to see if if those arms are are what we think they are like are they going to are they going to compete at the same level that we're seeing them right now if the bats are going to stay hot i mean they're 36 in uh in the country right now they got 91 hits on the season they're hitting 368 fifth in the in, in batting average in, in the nation right now is that are those bats going to stay as hot when they start competing against those higher quality teams of course with florida coming they play them twice in march so that those are really going to be you know yeah. i'm not saying they got to win them I'm not saying they have to win the series outright, though sweeping the Gators would be fantastic. Uh, but just let's just see some progress. Let's see how well they do, how the arms play, how the bats go, if the fielding stays good. I think that's how we're going to be able to really judge what the rest of the season could look like. Yeah, I agree. And and honestly, I think when they start ACC play with that Notre Dame series uh, coming up March 15th through the 17th, I mean, realistically, even not sweeping everything, I think this team can come into that point with probably around 15 to 16 wins. Yeah. Which, you know, when you only won, uh, and I'll let Jeff correct me on this if I'm wrong, but wasn't it like 23 games total last year? And, and you're talking about 15 to to 16, maybe 18 wins before you even get into conference play. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's a big improvement. I mean, but again, we're going to have to see what they do against that better competition. But, you know, what you, what you mentioned, what they've done in the portal, some of the young guys that they developed last year where you just took your lumps and you stuck with yeah. them and you developed them, you can really see it paying off this year. And this team is so much more talented from top to bottom, and they have some hitters in this lineup. And that's one thing that I like, too. I mean, James Tibbs is an absolute power plant, five home runs on the season already. All that dude does is hit home runs. You know, Florida State, yeah. like Jeff said, to be fun to watch again, 
they've even made Sports Center top ten for two plays so far yeah. this season. So yeah. I, I think you just you cut down on the errors, you know. And I love him to death because he's Seminole, but a lot of that had to do with you got rid of Nander Desaitos. Like you kind of yeah. got that hole out of there. Cam Smith has has had a much better year at third base as well. But I just think when you look back to the lineup, having that much depth i mean i still like noah short uh you know the, the sidearm guy i like a lot of the other ones that they have coming in i just think this is this is a team that if they can stay healthy they have the pieces to make some noise now are they gonna you know are they gonna be able to win the acc with teams like clemson in there and and wake forest who's just a juggernaut of baseball it's hard to say but i think that at the rate they're going if they can keep it up against the better teams in the country that that are on their schedule and they're going to get their chance you know, baseball's a crazy sport, man. I, I mean, yeah. you look at Florida, they got they just got beat by Stetson. That's a team you have on the schedule coming up. Uh JU or excuse me, um Florida Gulf Coast just beat Miami. Now, yep. Florida Gulf Coast is good for those of you that follow baseball. Um, and then you also had the other day, man, Kennesaw State absolutely whooped Clemson 18 to one. Now, yeah. Now Clemson ended up winning the series, but baseball is a funny sport, man. It can just, you can have one guy on the mound, have a hot day. And, and, you know, I just, I feel like this team, I don't want to judge too much off the level of competition, but I think this is a team that can find their way into the postseason. And Jeff, I'll let you share some thoughts on that before we talk about softball. We, but we both mentioned, you know, the whole test, when's that first test coming? It's coming Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I'm gonna be honest. You know, that's what I love to do, and that's why I kind of cover the the baseball aspect of it. But you got Illinois. Illinois is going to be. That's just going to be. Cam Lighter's going to have. It's going to be like going to Walmart with a million dollars. You just he can get anything he wants yeah. there because yeah. it's going to be what he, it's it's going to be nothing. Then you got Michigan State, who granted, I mean, even a blind squirrel can find an acorn and a nut every now and then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because right. You look at Michigan State, who was like two and five, I think, last night. Yeah, going yeah. into Georgia and Jesse, me and you talked about it. Whenever I sent you that text, you was like, "I already had them penciled down as a loss." I, I almost know, made them two and six in my article. <laughs> yeah, and I've been on them baseball teams. I played baseball my whole life, and I've been on the team that you walk onto the field and you're like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna roll them," and then they roll you. Yeah. yeah. But the team, and you know, you mentioned Florida Gulf Coast. Florida Gulf Coast at the midweek. That's the closest thing to a Link Jarrett team as you can get other than a Link Jarrett team when it's finally meshing. Mm. They got plate discipline. Fielding percentage is almost top in the country. I mean, you look at everything they do and they produce. I mean, they're, they're a baseball school. That's what yeah. they are. Yeah. But then you look at Western Michigan, and they've got five batters batting over 300. Whew. They've got four batters batting over 400. That's crazy. You know, and I, I mean, I told you yesterday when we talked, I was, they're averaging 10 runs a game. They're 6-2 and two on the year. They're averaging 10 runs a game. They're only giving up six runs a game. Yeah. I mean. And they played Michigan, so it's not. And they played Michigan, yeah. Right. It's not been a bunch of slappies out there. Yeah. I mean, that's where our test is going to be. If we can get past them, that's going to build the confidence. And that's why yeah. I like the – that's why I like the, the lesser opponents because, you yeah. know, you've got that feeling out period in baseball. Yeah. And – all the new pitchers we got and all the new players. Now we're getting into that jail moment. Yeah. In the last series or two, we've seen, you know, what this team could be. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. once they finally, you know, say we get past West Western Michigan, then we somehow get by uh Florida Gulf Coast. Once we get to that ACC play and the ACC is to all the SEC fans out there, I don't care, you know, really you can chant SEC no matter who you who you root for in that conference. The ACC, honestly, is one of the premier baseball conferences yeah, in the yeah, country. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When you look at it, Clemson, one of the top teams. Wake Forest. Yep. yep. Pitt normally is a good. Um, Miami's normally good. Yep. Once Florida State gets back up there, there's not going to be no denying who that who the baseball conference is. Yeah. yeah. But that also comes with your opponents are going to be better. Your you know the games are going to be harder. Yeah. And with this pitching staff still learning the Link Jarrett way and this fielding, this de defensive staff, it's going to be exciting. Dude, I think, honestly, I don't think there's ever going to be a time because last year we didn't even make the ACC tournament. Yeah. Because we yeah. didn't have enough wins to, to even qualify for the ACC tournament. Yeah. I think this year, just what we've seen, and you look, you mentioned Tibbs, and then you got uh, Cam Smith right behind him. They went back to back the other night. Tibbs has 17 RBIs. You know, that's, 
up there in the top, I want to say five in the country right now. He's also James Tibbs. I didn't even know this was a stat until I looked it up. He is tied in the country for the toughest to strike out. Oh, wow. That sounds like a good stat to be yeah. number one. That's, that's, that's a good stat to have. And you got Ferro who hits. You got uh, Jaime Ferreira, who's a good solid right behind Tibbs. Yeah. Diamez Ross finally, has been good too. Diamez yeah. Ross. Yes. Then you got also, uh, what's his name? Holbrook, the catcher yeah. we got last year yeah. that was injured. You know, he's, it's finally come together. Yeah. And this year, now am I, am I saying we're going to win it all in Omaha? No. But I also wouldn't have said at the beginning of the season in 13 that we would have been in Pasadena winning the national championship. That's very true. Right, right. No. And I think I think you bring up a good point too that you're in a tough division. You're you're or a tough conference. So it may not like you're probably not going to roll through and just dominate everybody. It's just not going to happen. But if you can get back to respectability, and, and I think the similarities with this team, it's kind of a lot like 2022 FSU, where it's like you knew going into any game that you yeah. had the potential to win. I mean, That's you right. could certainly lose, but you had the potential to win. And that Florida Gulf Coast series is going to be interesting because they did take the series win against Florida State last year. So, you know, that's kind of a good barometer of where you're at. They just beat Miami. So if you beat them, you know, you can feel good about that. And, and you got Miami coming up too. But, yeah, I just feel like with the talent level that they have and the, and the small improvements – and it's not been perfect. Don't get me wrong. Like, they still make some bonehead errors. They still got, you know – You've had a couple instances where Lighter and some of the pitchers struggle with some command issues, but they still got the stuff. It's just finding it. And so I think that's a lot of – we'll transition into softball real quick with the last few minutes we got here. But I think that's one of the things that you see out of softball too is the bats are there, and and they have a couple of pitchers. But I think the, the struggles in the ring are what's Oof. really been holding this team yeah. back. And that, yeah. to me, you know, when me and Jeff did the, the season preview – one of the comments that we made was this this softball team will go as far as the pitching will yep. take them after right. losing their three best pitchers last year. And so far, it's not been that great. I mean, they're they're getting by and they yeah. beat up on a lot of the teams. They're run ruling a lot of the teams that they're supposed to run rule. But I mean, you got your doors blown off by Georgia. And, and you know, of course, they had the series canceled this weekend because of weather, which they would have faced some tough teams. But you know, it's they got to get better against the better competition. Now, you have no reason to to doubt Lonnie Alameda. Right. And they have some bats. I mean, I love some of the, the, the people on this team. I mean, Jasonny Beecham as a freshman is a power plant. And I mean, her first, I, mean, I think she was what, two for two or three for three in her first game with two RBIs or her first two at bats. She's just popping yeah. home runs left and right. I mean, so you got the power She's in the lineup. 512. Right. Yeah. And you get Michaela Edenfield with back to back walk offs. Like the bats are there. It's just they got to get that pitching figured out because they're right now yeah. they're. I mean, even when you got run ruled by Georgia, you, you put up what ten runs, and, and to still yeah. get run ruled, I mean, they just got they got to figure out the defensive side of things. Yeah, I mean, listen, if if they can, and Jeff, I'll let you jump in here. I know you're the more expert of this, but my thing is, man, if they could just figure out how to steady the water when it comes to pitching, you know, they may not be the, you know, you know, we don't have Sander Cox, so we're not shutting down anybody's lineups this year. But if right. it, but we know that we could score on average eight to ten runs a game, and if we can keep the opponents somewhere below that <laughs> simple yeah. math, there, you know, have more runs at the end of the game than the other team does, then man, this team can go as far as as they want to. You know, I'm not saying they'll win the whole thing because Oklahoma's still out there. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but they could get as far as they want to. But man. To score 10 runs and still get run ruled, that yeah. tells you that your arms are not showing up. I mean, you got two, you have two pitchers on your team right now, and Emma Watson, uh, or three, let me go back, Emma Wilson, sorry, McKenna Reed, and Ashton Delaney. But uh, Wilson is at a 4.85 ERA, uh, McKenna Reed's at 4.90, and then uh, Ashton is at 5.62. And your best pitcher right now is Allison Royal, who's pitched 22 innings and she's got a 0.62 ERA. And so you got to figure out like, are we going to just ride that arm until it runs off? Or yeah. are we going to try to mix in uh, your two best, your other pitcher? She's got a 0.980 ERA. So are we going to try to just kind of live with those and then just sprinkle in those other uh, girls until they can kind of figure out where they are? Um, I just, again, man, I, this team is so good on the bats. We cannot let the arms hold us back. So I don't know what I trust Lonnie. I think she'll, she'll figure it out. She'll get them right. Like you said, you got Allison royalty who, you know, you can rely on. You have some other pitchers who just don't quite have the, 
the veteran experience, right, so to speak. Right. And so, like, I think the thing about Kat Sandercock was you could throw her into any situation yep. and she could function. You know, whether she was your starter or a lot of times Lonnie would hold her back, not start her, but then in the pressure bring her moment, in. bring right. her in. They really need to find two or three more people that they can rely on in that lineup. I, I yep. think you feel good about Allison Royalty, who's been it's been nice to see her step up this year. Yes, it has in her senior year. She she kind of struggled a little bit last year. So it's yep. been nice to have someone to step up. But and Ashton Danley, she's great, but she's still a freshman. She's still, still a freshman. She's still yeah. learning. And and the season is long and they have a yep. chance to get it figured out. And and to be fair, they've still been winning games. I mean, they're still yeah. putting W's in the win column. That's right. It's just once, you know, kind of like we talked about with baseball, once you get to that tougher stretch of the season, yeah, you know, it, it's going to be, you're going to have to prove your, that you're ready to go against a better competition. And, you know, we, it was a little bit of a shock when they, they lost to Charlotte to begin with. It was kind of like, well, that wasn't expected, but then they bounced yeah. back. And so hopefully, you know, right. then they, they had a rough outing there in clear water, but you know, again, this team has yep. talent. They have the coaching. It's just whether or not, they can they can do it on a consistent basis against that better competition, and they're going to probably need some more team or some more girls in the circle to step up because right now they have a yep. few that that are good. They just don't have the depth that they had last year. This team will find their way. I hope it's not kind of too late, you know, right. once they start yeah. getting into it because of the ACC play. But I mean, they're still they're We knew there was going to be a step back. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. we didn't know how far. The team's not bad. I mean, no, no, yeah. I mean, we've only lost what three games. I mean, the team's not bad, but yeah. it's not the the standard that we know a Lonnie Alameda, right? FSU softball team could be, right, right, and, yeah. You know, but it all you know, but you go back and look at the Lonnie Alameda teams. You had that dominant arm in the circle. You had a, a Megan King, yeah, then a Cat Sandercock, and yep. I mean, the list goes on and on from the time before. That's the only difference. And can Allison Royalty, you know, I, I like to call her the queen. Can she be that arm that leads us yep. consistently? Yep. She struggled last year. She got, she was injury prone last year. You know, does that come back up? Possible. But you got a Mimi Gordon that's a freshman that's, if her and McKenna Reed and Ashton Danley can finally get meshed where they're perfect, or not, I didn't say perfect, but they're performing at a high elite level. Yeah. Coach Lonnie's going to start stacking Dubs. NCAA championships. You, you're going yeah. to instead of Oklahoma, it's going to be Tallahassee. Yeah, you yeah. know they're going to be talking Florida State and Tallahassee. That's where you want to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think they just have to, like you said, they got to bring the young players up to speed, and they got to do it quickly because yeah. the schedule is about to get tough, and it's about to count for ACC play. But again, you know, it's like you just saw all the top five preseason stuff coming out, all the top 100 players, and all that stuff, and I, I think it blinded us from the fact that they were losing some pieces. That's right. And it was going to happen. You know, it's, it's just kind of like when you watch Alabama this year, like if the first time they have like a nine and three season or nine and four season or 10 and three, they're going to freak out. And it's going to be funny to watch. It's not funny to experience, which is kind of what we're going through. But like Jeff said, I mean, we've only lost a couple games, right? They're still, they're still putting wins in the win column. They're still run right. rolling the teams that they're supposed to. It's right. just, they gotta, they gotta find something for that better competition, but that's right. That's going to do it for us today, guys. We just wanted to throw a little bit of football talk out there and then, uh, transition into some round ball sports because again, man, FSU baseball, like Jeff said, it's been fun to watch again and and hopefully they can maintain that through the better competition. And, and, you know, softball, I, it's fun to watch. It's just a little more stressful because you have that higher standard right. to hold into. It's just different, but it's, it's still fun to watch. And like I said, they're the ones that are going to get us through into the spring. And then while we, while we go through the summer waiting on football, but that's going to do it for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in as always support those that support us alumni hall, FSU head on over there, get you some new FSU gear for 10% off by using code spear. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you guys on the next one. And as always, go, go Noles. Noles.